A reminder to our insurance brokers that this episode is eligible for half a CPD point from Neva. Stay tuned until the end of the episode for details on where you can go to generate your CPD certificate. Hi and welcome to NTI Spotlight, the show that shines a spotlight on all things vessels, vehicles and equipment. Today we're going to be talking about marine insurance basics. It's a really complex world, marine insurance. It's the oldest insurance in the world. Um, There's so many different terms and acronyms and INCO terms and all sorts of things that, that go along with marine insurance. So we're going to have a chat with some experts on what's the what's the foundation things that you should know? Where should you start? What do you need to know to, to help you and your clients uh, understand marine insurance? I'm joined this morning by two of NTI's marine insurance experts. Firstly, Melinda Galliford, one of our senior marine underwriters. Welcome, Melinda. Morning. And also Brandon Harvey, who has a strong background in uh, marine underwriting and has recently moved into a state development specialist role. So congratulations on that. Firstly, Brandon, and welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. So before we get into any of the technical aspects of of this episode, let's find out a little bit about your backgrounds and, and how you got into marine insurance. So Melinda, I might start with you. How did you get into the world of marine underwriting? Oh, like most people with insurance, I fell into it. Um, just happened to be one of the many junior office type roles I applied for at the time. And a quirky little coincidence, uh, the person who interviewed me and employed me had a surname with one letter different. Ironically, his dad worked with my uncle. That's why it was a bit of a weird thing. And that was the only question I was asked during my interview was, was I any relation to my uncle? And the rest is history, hey? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> and you, you still love marine insurance today? Yeah, it's great. Um, I don't think I could ever, uh, oh, I'd probably be, be bored doing the standard home contents insurance, but marine, there's something different every day and particularly specialising over all four categories of marine insurance. Um, I'd get a wide variety of things to look at every day. It's great. And Brandon, what about you? How did you start in marine insurance? Yeah, so very similar to Mal, just sort of fell into it. Um, I think at university, I studied a a Bachelor of Business um, and I majored in financial management. Um, And when that was finished, I literally went on seek and just sort of filtered to, you know, the financial industry type roles, um, applied for a bunch and then, yeah, got a phone call um, for a marine underwriting role. Um, Naive me thought that marine was, you know, I was going to be insuring you know, fishing boats and, and ski boats. Um, so went along to the interview were probably a bit underprepared because I didn't know what it sort of entailed, um, but somehow managed to get the role. And I guess the, the rest is history and, and, and have learnt a lot about Marine since then um, and the differences and the, um, I guess the unique nature of it. Fantastic. So to kick us off today, let's chat about the four different classes of marine insurance that NTI offers. Brandon, I'll start with you. Um, Let's kick things off talking about cargo insurance. Mm Yeah, sure. Um, so cargo is probably one of the, the most common forms of uh, marine insurance we see here. Um, it covers goods in transit for physical loss or damage. Um, and it's important to note that it's a policy taken out by the owner of the goods. 
Um, your insureds can be, you know, any sort of business that sells a, a physical item. Um, so you think wholesalers, retailers, manufacturers, um, you know, if they have a physical item that they're selling, um, chances are there's, there's some sort of cargo exposure. Um, and these transits can be um, anywhere in the anywhere in the world. So it could be imports, um, exports. Uh, but important to note that it can also be inland transits within Australia. Um, you know, so it could be from a from a warehouse to a retail store here here in Australia that transit, um, but it could also be an import, so coming from a manufacturer overseas importing here um, into Australia. And what about carriers? Yeah, so carriers is is very similar um, in that we're um, covering you know physical items for for loss or damage, um, but the key difference between um, carriers and, and cargo um, is that we're not insuring the owner of the item. Um, so we're insuring, you know, a, a, a logistics company or a road transport operator um, who is carting, you know, items that are owned by a third party. And a key thing to note is that carrier's policy is normally, um, or it's not normally in, in all cases, it's, it's just an inland transit. So it's just transits within Australia. Um, there's no overseas component um, to a carrier's policy. So Mel, can you explain to us what commercial hull cover is and also uh, marine liability? Well, commercial hull insurance is um, the category that we we predominantly do here at NTI. We don't cover pleasure craft, which is your you know, your, your weekend type pennies runabouts and, and various vessels like that. Um, with commercial hull, they're required to be an Australian entity um, and also for the vessel to be registered for commercial use. So things like your charter vessels, um, some commercial fishing vessels we'll have a look at, um, and also work boats um, used for commercial purposes. It could be in construction, it could be um, any kind of um, trading down the coast or any sort of passenger transfer vessels, all that sort of stuff. Um, work boats used around uh, aquaculture operations, I'm more than happy to have a look at as well. So anything um, commercial hull oriented, give us a give us a crack, we'll have a look at it. And what about marine liability? Marine liability is traditionally, or the, the main area of marine liability we look at is things that are traditionally like a ship repairer's liability. Uh, we don't uh, reduce it just to that definition anymore because there are so many different occupations out there and it's rapidly expanding and growing. So we've got a policy wording that will fit a multitude of different operations. Um, but it's, it's always important to remember a general liability cover that your insured might have doesn't necessarily cover them while they're working on vessels or over the water, so to speak. So a ship repairer you might have a diesel mechanic or something like that, then they're working on fishing vessels, for example. Those fishing vessels, will they won't fall within their general liability policy. So they need a marine liability policy to dovetail and, and work with that general liability policy as well. So, so that's really interesting, Mel. Is is there, are there any instances where there might be gaps between the carriers and the cargo? Potentially, um, some carriers just go with a bare minimum cover just to make sure if there's a major collision or a fire, an overturning of their truck, that they've got some basic cover in place to cover those major events. A lot of the time, you'll need an AD cover, an accidental damage cover, for you know, goods move in the back of a truck during transit loads shift, um, loading and unloading, theft, those sort of risks, you need to make sure you have an accidental damage cover in place. And that's when you can have a problem with the gaps between the cargo owner's insurance and the carrier's insurance. So the bottom line is that it's really important that both of those parties have the appropriate insurance cover. Correct. And it's all about the contracts between the two parties as well. 
the carrier is not responsible or does not have to claim under their policy. The cargo owner in the first instance should always claim under their cover, then they can recover off the carrier's insurance unless there's a contract in place where the carrier has agreed to pay claims. So let's have a chat now about some of the common risk areas for, for marine insurance. Um, I'll throw to you first, Mel, um, mm-hmm. commodity types. If we talk about different commodities, what's some of the risks associated with different commodities that we should all be aware of? Oh, well, your general standard manufactured goods are probably your biggest general commodity type, but also uh, we do specialise in meat frozen and chilled in transit. So not just within Australia, but also overseas exports as well. Uh, that can get a bit complicated and complex, particularly when you have um, rejection clauses and extended rejection clauses to particular countries. Um, and also the type of meat. Um, there's been a lot of issues with COVID in recent times, uh, blockages at ports, um, you know, delays in loading, handling of, of the containers when they get to their destination. Um, so it has been a bit of a complex issue in the last few years, particularly, um, but it's something we do have a, a fair amount of experience in. What about you, Brandon? Any commodities and, and risks associated with it that we should be aware of? Yeah, one interesting one that I've sort of been seeing of late over the, the past couple of years is raw commodities. Um, so these are normally shipped in bulk and they're, you know, your things like ore, um, if you think like lithium at the moment's going crazy, um, fertiliser grain. Um, and, and with inflation at the moment, one of the big things we're seeing is um, the cost of those like jumping up quite considerably. Um, so you know, in some cases we're seeing, you know, what previously, you know, if you had a, a bulk shipment of, of fertiliser, let's say, for example, it was about 10 or 20 mil, that same shipment these days is going for 50, 60 mil. So we're talking you know, 100%, 200% price increases. And where you sort of need to be careful with that, both you know, for our brokers, our insureds, is um, under-declaring insurance. So if they're not staying right on top of their policy limits that they have on their cargo policies, you know, they could find themselves in a situation where you know they don't update their policy, a claim happens, and you know, all of a sudden they find themselves underinsured just purely because you know commodity prices are increasing so rapidly. It's it's they're increasing too quick for them to you know catch up on and stay on top of. So that's one of the key ones that, you know, I'm sort of seeing at the moment. Um, but yeah, I mean, like in terms of commodities, we say how long's a piece of string. I think I said off the top with a cargo policy, any physical item, um, you know, we see it. So yeah, there's, there's plenty out there and it always keeps us on our toes in our day-to-day job, that's for sure. From the end customer point of view there with inflation, imagine we see it every day going to the supermarket, check out. The bill's gone through the roof at the moment with inflation. Imagine that multiplied or extrapolated out for a bulk shipment. Mm. So your loaf of bread might have gone up 50 cents. Okay, well, how much wheat? And you think of a bulk container ship, how much extra that means. And and brokers and and customers need to remember they don't just have to wait till their renewal to increase their limits to be able to cover them adequately. Have a review partway through, have a chat with your broker and talk to us. We're here to help. We don't want it to end up being a problem with claim time. Great point. Exactly right. What about the destination of where uh, uh, some cargo is going? Uh, uh, when we were chatting, Mel, you mentioned, you know, it could be going round the corner or it could be going to the other side of the world, really. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that brokers and also their clients need to be aware of for their policy based on where a shipment might be going? One of the fun things about marine insurance is that uh, never a dull day. You always get something that's different, something that's going from a 
from point A to somewhere else and all of a sudden you've got to look at your globe or your map and on the wall and go, where's that? <laughs> um, but also means we've got to keep a keep abreast of what's going on in the world as well civil strife anything you know wars breaking out ukraine and russia's perfect example um anywhere where there happens to be civil unrest we need to be well aware of in case there's some problems at the ports and warehouses and that sort of stuff that's going on so it's just something to be aware of more than anything um you know keep abreast of the news and what's happening in the world um any higher risks or problems and covid was another example many ports in china just shut down so things couldn't be loaded and unloaded either. So that was a problem as well. It's just a case of keeping keeping track of what's going on in the world around us. Brandon, you mentioned before about like, you know, world to world cover and, and things like that. Um, are you able to jump in and, and explain some of those different covers? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, on your typical cargo policy, there'll be four general types of um, transits that we see. Um, we have inland transits, which is quite self-explanatory. It's you know anywhere within Australia. Important to note that also includes Australian territories. So I believe, is it the Cook Islands, Mel, and a couple of the ones that, although it's technically, you know, not on the Australian mainland, if it's still going to an Australian territory, it's classed as an inland transit. Oh, Norfolk Island, Cocos Islands, yep. Perfect, yeah. Um, next, you have the, your two basic forms of imports and exports. Um, so imports is obviously any sort of transits that's coming from anywhere in the world um, here into Australia. Export is vice versa, so from Australia to any country in the world. Lastly, we have world to world, which is a shipment that goes from um, two countries not involving Australia. So you could think like China to New Zealand, the most common one we probably see is shipments involving New Zealand. So you'll see, because a lot of Australian entities might also have a, a New Zealand entity as well. So you'll see a lot of like China to New Zealand, um, you know, US to New Zealand, but it can be, you know, any two countries around the world. And that's probably an important one where a lot of brokers will get caught out on because they will sometimes try to, or they assume that that's covered under an import or an export. Um, and it's just something to be aware of that it is indeed. Um, separate under a world-to-world -world section. There can also be a lot of manufacturing happening in China and the Asian countries these days. And instead of shipping from China or the Asian countries to Australia, then just to go off to the US, for example, they'll just go straight yep. from Asia to the USA without touching Correct. Australia. So that's why it's a world-to-world -world voyage. And what about packaging and, uh, you know, different packaging types or different container types, the way that these items are being sent? What risks do we need to be aware of? The most common form of transit is in a standard 20-foot container unit, um, TEU, or was it 20-equivalent unit? 20-foot equivalent unit is a standard container. Um, of course, they come in different shapes and sizes as well, but they are standard for shipping lines and stuff to click into their little racking systems and that sort of thing. So a 20-foot container, 40-foot container, slightly higher versions, and also refrigerated containers as well. So refrigerated containers to transport your frozen and chilled goods from point A to point B. And that have, they have their own enclosed refrigeration unit to keep the, the ambient temperature inside the container where it needs to be at its particular setting. Um, we also have um, oh, split container loads, which is several different customers may have their goods packed into the same container. So they may be going through the same freight forwarder or same packing agent, but they share a container rather than having their own individual container. Um, a break off to that is probably your break bulk stuff. Brandon, did you want to cover that? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you, you have your sort of two separate forms of bulk transit. You have what we call bulk and then also brake bulk. Um, so bulk is typically what you would think of where it's raw commodities loaded into a, the, the hull or the holds of the ship. Um, so it's things like grain or where they quite literally just dump it um, into the holds of the ship. Then you have break bulk, which is um, sort of just like general commodities outside of a container that are just lifted. They'll still have some form of packaging or um, protection in place, but it's generally seen as outside of the container um, on the ship. Uh, in recent, um, the last couple of, or well, last year or so, we've actually seen quite a surge um, in popularity of, of bulk uh, and break bulk shipments. This has mainly been led by uh, the container shortage um, that's being experienced here and around the world. Um, so one of the, the beauties, or not the beauties, I shouldn't say, but you know, one of the impacts of um, COVID, one of the many impacts um, is that it's led to the, this um, global container shortage that we've been in. Um, so I've personally seen examples on, you know, in my day to day where we have insureds that were, they used to, uh, you know, do their shipments of grain in line shipping containers, uh, but due to the poor, poor quality containers they were able to to get, they've now shipped, they've now moved to um, shipping bulk. Um, there was also an example um, with cotton where we're starting to see that now um, shipped to break bulk as well, break bulk as well. Um, so yeah, just an another thing to you know be careful of and wary of um, when you, especially when you're seeing um, or if you're any of your insureds dealing raw commodities, um, that sort of shift and and refocus to to break bulk and bulk shipments. Rolls of paper is another one that started being transported in containers more regularly in recent times, and of course with the container shortage with COVID, as Brandon mentioned, they've been starting to ship break bulk as well, and they're a huge problem if they have dents or anything towards the side of them because they won't go through the printing machines. So you've got a problem with them being shipped break bulk, but at the same time they can't go in containers because there's not enough or not good quality. So it's trying to find that balance between them. And one of the big issues we've been seeing as well with the container shortage is um, when the insurers that I have been seeing that have been um, prior to moving to bulk is the, the lack of quality of containers. So a lot of these containers will have holes in them dense. So we've seen a lot of um, water damage claims leads on that. So if you have something like paper or grain that's quite susceptible to, to water damage, it can be a big issue um, with some of these poorer quality containers. And also machinery or anything metal inside those containers if, if salt water gets in their rust. <laughs> Absolutely. Which brings to another one, roll on, roll off cargo as well, or oversized machinery, that sort of stuff. We quite often require it to be below deck so that they do have some protection from the elements. Uh, that's not always happening at the moment either. Depending on how and where it's being shipped from and to, you just got to be careful. Something to highlight to the customers and brokers. So if a client is looking to move from container shipment to bulk shipment, who do they need to talk to? Probably more their freight forwarder than their broker, but they certainly need to have a, a long chat with their freight forwarder about how they're planning on getting their goods from point A to point B safely, undamaged. Um, then also mention to their broker, hey, look, we've worked out we can do this from point A to point B. This is how we're going to protect the goods. This is what we're going to do. And then their broker will relay that information to us. So thanks for joining us today, Mel and Brandon, uh, to discuss some of the, the marine basics, uh, as we like to call it here at NTI. Before we let you, you both go, uh, are there any final thoughts from you? Mel, I'll start with you. There's never such a thing as a silly question when it comes to marine. We deal with it all day, every day. It's second nature to us. And we forget sometimes what is common language and what isn't. And brokers aren't necessarily going to see a, a marine 
policy from one day to the next. It may be a week or two between marine policies that they're, they're dealing with. There's no such thing as a silly question. Please ask. It doesn't matter if it's our wording or not. If you just want to say, hey, here's a scenario, what do you think? That's what we're here for. Couldn't be worse than some of the questions I ask about marine. Uh, <laughs> Brandon, anything from you? No, I would just echo Mal's sentiment um, 100%. Um, you know, we have a, a team of experts here at NTI who specialise um, in marine insurance. And, and, you know, sometimes we like to think it's common knowledge, but we're always happy here to, to, to help um, any brokers or any of our partners with any um, questions or, or issues they're having. So, yeah, don't be shy. Fantastic. Well, thanks for joining us uh, today. And uh, I'm sure we'll have you again on the show soon. Awesome. Thanks, thanks Luke. Guys. Thanks again for listening to NTI Spotlight. For insurance brokers looking to generate a CPD certificate for this episode, please visit partner.nti.com.au forward slash marine basics podcast. That URL again is partner.nti.com.au forward slash marine basics podcast.